0: The most important first step, in order for you to develop a very sound cybersecurity posture and an understanding of what your current state vulnerabilities are, to get to any improved future state, you've got to understand, what are my assets? Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers.
1: Happy. Each week, we interview
0: industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics, and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level.
1: And now, your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to our third installment of our cybersecurity miniseries with Rockwell Automation. Today, we're going to be talking about defense in depth and the NIST framework. This will include why implementation is important and the initial steps you should take to get started on cyber security. We're getting further and further and further into the world of security, so... I should give you some fair warning. If you have not listened to the first two episodes yet in this mini-series, I highly recommend you do that first. First episode was on why cybersecurity matters, followed by the fundamentals of cybersecurity. So with that, we're going to really start getting into it a bit more this week. We're going to be talking details, so I should give you the three things you can expect from today's show. First, we get into an overview on what defense in depth is, as well as defining another important term called threat vectors. Second, we go over the NIST framework and its relationship with the three stages of a cyber attack continuum. We'll also discuss the most important first step in executing the NIST framework, and technically you've already heard what that was at the very, very start of the episode if you were listening closely. This part of the conversation also includes some examples of successful cybersecurity programs. Finally, and this is where we really get into the meat of the conversation, the third part is the good, better, and best approaches to executing on cybersecurity. This accounts for implementation, vulnerabilities, and available timelines that companies have to create a secure enterprise. We'll go over everything from asset inventory, anti-malware strategy, risk assessments that look at your overall OT readiness, as well as scalable thread detection services, I know this sounds complex right now, and you might be thinking, is this expensive? Well, we also talk about low and high CapEx approaches to taking on cybersecurity. This is something that every enterprise can afford to do. Now, just based on the intro and what I've told you so far, know that this episode is not high-level content. This is really something that if you're into cybersecurity, you're going to want to hear. My call to action for you is that if you know someone in cybersecurity, maybe your IT manager or your chief information and security officer, forward this episode to them so that they can listen to it. You can head to manufacturinghappyhour.com cybersecurity to get links to this episode as well as all the other ones that we've released so far on your podcast platform of choice. And if you're enjoying this show and you want to share your thoughts, please leave us a five-star rating and review at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by typing in manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. That'll take you right there where not only you can subscribe to the show, but you can hit that five-star button and leave us a review that's as short as one sentence long. And I'm excited to bring back another one of my friends who's been on Manufacturing Happy Hour before, Camille Carmali. So let's head to the virtual pub, if you will, so I can get you introduced to Camille and get started on our conversation around defense in depth and the NIST framework. Camille, it is excellent having you back on the show. Chris, good to talk
0: to you. Thank you.
1: So for those of you that don't know Camille, Camille is the global commercial lead for Rockwell's services portfolio team. He's an alumni of Manufacturing Happy Hour. And today he is here to talk about defense in depth and the NIST framework. I said that right. It's it's NIST, not necessarily NIST, correct? That is correct. All right. Well, we're, we're going to need to get into some terminology just so our listeners know what those are. But let's set it in the context of Manufacturing Happy Hour first. Let's say you and I are theoretically hanging out at Caffrey's Pub on uh, Marquette's campus, our alma mater. Totally theoretical conversation because you and I have definitely never done that before. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let's say someone comes up to you and says, Camille, what, what in the world is defense in depth? What is it and how does it work? Describe it to them as if we're hanging out at a bar.
0: Not a problem. So the the easiest, simplest way, Chris, for, for me to uh, probably answer that would be it's kind of a multifaceted layering approach to security deployment and understanding really how to implement security technologies or philosophies across um, analyzing things from policies and procedures to physical requirements to the actual operational capabilities of a network. And it continues to get deeper and deeper all the way from um, a broad behavioral method down to really a device level. Okay. So when you think about defense in depth, think about the level of effectiveness that you'd want to deploy um, with respect to multiple different faceted areas. It could be things such as applications or critical systems or cloud security, um, or things like perimeter security. So defense, Defense in Depth takes a look at what do we believe are the critical threat vectors that may apply or attack within a manufacturing environment and ultimately understanding what the priorities and focus areas need to be as you drive compliance and projects and processes to implementing technology and people towards solving potential risk. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So I'm I'm going to recite it back just to make sure I captured it. And then maybe you can help me fill in the gaps if I miss anything. So you're, you're looking at the defense approaches. You're looking at policies and procedures. You're not necessarily just looking at it from like a technical or a device level, but you're also looking at it from a behavioral standpoint and how that all relates back to cybersecurity. Does that sound right? That is correct. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you could be looking at something very broad in terms of hey the this is this is where potential cybersecurity risk may be in my connectivity or my overall security posture as a customer you know at a single site or an enterprise it could be looking at hey what are the works in progress or things that that protect me from the perimeter of the cloud All the way to implementing firewalls and physical security, then I get into my network or my hosting applications uh, or my endpoints, and then furthermore to my devices. Um, So it's really a step-by-step approach as you build out layers and you build out guarding uh, towards potential threat vectors. And I think it's probably even good that we define uh, the word threat vector. Okay. So threat vector or attack surface um, is a way of understanding kind of terminology for cybersecurity around, you know, who or what would be the possible mechanisms of cybersecurity penetration, right? So um, in an OT environment, in a manufacturing operational technology environment, you're looking at a device that has a certain communication or an application of software that's running in a server or a device operating a process of manufacturing the plant floor, you got to ask yourself, hey, my threat factors are things like where is that asset physically located and what are the penetration points, right? Um, What's the firmware? What is my patching philosophy? Where are these applications installed? How are they communicating? And so you kind of take a look at that broad visibility scheme, right? And then you can start to really build out a defense in-depth strategy based on things such as um, a NIST framework or other standards to help guide you through prioritizing what you believe those risks
1: could be. It's interesting because the way I'm visualizing this right now, it's like there's this vertical axis and there's like this horizontal axis where the threat vector or the attack surface is kind of like this horizontal axis where you're looking at, like you said, where the assets are located, like what's the firmware, what's the patching philosophy, all these different aspects about it. And then where I, th- I feel like the term defense in depth comes from is you're looking at the layers of where your security risk Might be. I don't know if that's a correct analogy, but that's kind of how I'm hearing things so far. Yeah, we often
0: challenge customers. And so maybe I'll answer that question a a couple different ways, Chris. So, you know, when I use terms such as threat vectors or, um, you know, attack surface or risks, we got to think about who would be the potential, well, who's the target? And then who are people that are potentially looking at creating that type of behavior, right? So we look at a threat vector to be anybody associated with, for example, a nation state. It could be something like an insider threat, so an individual working within the organization, whether they're in the enterprise world or they could be in the operational technology world that has access to things like USB devices, right, Chris? Or access to ports inside switches. Terrorism is another inside Uh, sorry, is another threat vector that could be internal or external. Hacktivists, we see the number of Hacking related malware incidents have gone up exponentially since 2010, right? Non Petia and WannaCry being some of these that people understand from a hey, what is ransomware and why is it impacting me so quickly? And then you've got cyber criminals, right? People that just want to do damage for personal gain, property gain, financial gain. Um, and so when we coach a customer through either deploying defense in depth or even partnering with us to put a NIST framework in place to, to mitigate, we're looking at what is the insider potential, right? What are the external advisories? Is this gonna be direct from the outside world, from the internet, all the way into a plant network? Could it be directly from somebody inside the facility who has access to a port or a USB who's looking to take down an operation in the overall supply chain? Um, So there's a million different ways you can look at it. And I think that that's why defense in depth is super helpful because It could apply a standard like IEC 62443 in terms of what are my risks and vulnerabilities and how do I look at those to the NIST framework, which is all about a risk-based approach across a cybersecurity attack continuum to Mm -hmm. what are my my threat vectors?
1: Yeah, and I, I love that you brought up the threat vectors because that was actually a topic that Steve had brought up in our first episode in this series. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, make sure you check out episode one in our cybersecurity miniseries. But another term you brought up that I, I wanted to dive into as well was the NIST framework. Again, let's say we're hanging out at Caffrey's. Someone asks what it is. Why is it important? I've heard it referenced as a risk-based approach. So I'd love you to elaborate on that a little bit.
0: Yeah, not a problem. So, uh, NIST, National Institute of Secure Technologies, ha- has a framework that looks at critical infrastructure security, and it's really a set of standards, guidelines, and best practices to apply to related cybersecurity potential, you know, vulnerability or risk. Um, and it's divided into broad functions. And so, when we talk about the attack continuum uh, that you and I have referred to on the in the past, it's kind of like before during and after, right? Those would be the three phases. And NIST breaks it down in kind of these five functional broad topics. So what are you doing to identify? What are you doing to protect your risk? What are you doing to detect? What are you doing to respond and recover? And each function has its own subcategories that we apply at Rockwell Automation, um, a strategy, a plan, a set of technologies and processes towards to help customers figure out okay, this is what I got to go do before a cybersecurity attack. This is what I got to go do during um, a potential incident taking place. And these are the things that I can do afterwards, right? So not sure if you want me to walk through them or or if that's kind of like a good broad high level intro to it.
1: I love the high level intro. For those that were listening, I'm just gonna recap those. So that's identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. Those are the five, I think in order, right? That is correct. Yep. You know, I guess going into those a little bit, does that does that have something to do with the cyber attack continuum also? Or am I jumping ahead to a different topic yet?
0: They're both this uh, one and the same. So the identify and protect, detect, and then respond and recover, take place at various stages within an at- attack continuum. So you can think about things like identify and protect; those are things you can do before. So that's at the before stage of an attack continuum, and then real-time assessing a threat detect type of environment. That's that's during, and then backup and recovery and incident response would be after. So what we, I can probably maybe give an example, but as a customer builds out these standards, right? The most important first step that we always coach and help guide our executive teams, our customers, our plant teams towards is in order for you to develop a very sound cybersecurity posture and an understanding of what your current state vulnerabilities are to get to any improved future state, you've got to understand what are my assets? to do mm-hmm. a comprehensive asset inventory type of services in order to figure out where are things located, what is connected, what is even not connected that could potentially deliver a threat long-term. Priority, prioritize your opportunity for improvement across the attack continuum to get to an overall Better cybersecurity hygiene. You know, we love that term hygiene, right? <laughs> Think about yeah. it kind of clean. It's this is my current state. I know I've got vulnerabilities or I don't know what they are. And let me get to a future state. So, yeah, in the identify and protect stage, there's so many things our customers can do as basic as starting asset inventory analysis to figure out where things are.
1: I love how you aligned those together, and this is not the first time you've talked about the attack continuum on the show. For those listening, if you want to dive into some of the things Camille has talked about in the past, you can head to manufacturinghappyhour.com dot slash youtube to access his uh, his content around the attack continuum. But I think what you just did there, aligning the five topics within the NIST framework with the before, during, and after of the cyber attack continuum makes a lot of sense. So much so that I'd love it if you could elaborate on it in terms of like a story or an example that helps illustrate that point.
0: Uh, sure. So we, <laughs> in order to uh, to protect information for sure, I would I would not use the customer's name, but I'll give you an example across a few multi- uh, industries, right? So the one thing i love about cybersecurity and ot network infrastructure implementations is a lot of this stuff is is agnostic with respect to what do you do how do you do it and what do you apply right so You know, we recently worked with a life science customer who's got more than 50, between 50 to 70 facilities globally. Right. And Mm -hmm. this particular life science customer had an internal assessment of what they had in terms of quantified risk or potential long term uh, vulnerability And so we walked them through a very comprehensive multi-year process around, hey, what would it look like within the first six to 12 months versus 12 to 24 months as you build out a risk-based approach? And so what that customer in particular wanted to focus on is, hey, let me immediately understand across my entire manufacturing enterprise, what's my asset inventory? So what do I have? Where is it? What's connected, right? And based on that, what is the current cyber hygiene associated with that particular plant or that facility or that device. So let me get a a base level understanding of vulnerability and risk. And then I'm going to start some perimeter hardening and make Mm sure that all of my servers across the enterprise have uh, patching capabilities that we're taking a look at malware. And those are very kind of easy things to start with. And then we built up the complexity in terms of hey, that customer wanted to have real-time threat detection services, right? So let's go deploy that globally. Let's put an additional measure in place around perimeter hardening, segmenting the enterprise level from the OT environment, throwing firewalls consistently in terms of how they're set up and the policies and procedures that we are going to deploy and what does that engineering process need to look like And then get into remote monitoring capabilities of assessing that behavior and making changes in a repeatable manner. So, you know, that's one example. We've also been able to help a food and beverage customer and a beverage customer, two separate ones, large scale or individual plant, right? Starting with a pilot for one facility, moving all the way to like 43 globally, where getting the right network infrastructure was step one. Building out a segmentation of a demilitarized zone between enterprise and IT was kind of the second, putting the right policies and procedures in place with respect to qualified patch management philosophies and then deploying data centers globally that we are actually managing and monitoring in real time, 24 by 7, um, the operational state of that data center. We're making application changes. We're helping that customer take a look at all their core and distribution and access layer switching capabilities in the facility and responding to those things. And so, you know, we've got probably eight to ten examples of where we've just try to understand with a customer and, and all these cybersecurity programs Chris are they're all different there's not one in the same right so that, that those are some examples for you
1: well those those are two great examples because i think it illustrates a pretty big macro point that has been a theme of this mini series is that cybersecurity is a process not a project because if I look at both examples, you gave a menu of the things you look at patching, perimeter hardening, remote monitoring. And then in the other in the other case, we were talking about the food beverage customer, you're talking about how they did a pilot project and then went to a fleet-wide project, which all of that ties in, I believe, to saying that this is not necessarily just a patching issue. This is not necessarily just a perimeter hardening issue. This is something that requires a strategy and a, as I said earlier, a process to really go after it. Absolutely. You know, a follow-up question to that, you talked about the the different philosophies you can have. Is there like a good, better, best philosophy to this implementation process?
0: There is, there is. And, And what we take a look at would be, it's kind of the basic modernization principles that you apply to networks and infrastructure as well, right? So you think about in your enterprise or your facility, it's people, process, technology, and you got to balance those priorities against cost and risk, right? So the first thing that I always recommend is cybersecurity is a team sport, right? It's an operational group of stakeholders from engineering to IT to our OT stakeholders, um, finance, health and safety, right? Because all of these people, these functions, can be impacted by uh, threat factor. and so you know we we go through a good, better, best model evaluation with a customer and make recommendations based on implementation number of vulnerabilities. How do you improve the risk posture with limited capital expenditure and shortened timelines? All the way to hey, we've got a customer that that has quantified risk. Um, has allocated budget. It's the number one thing on the priority. And so ready to have that balance between heavy CapEx and a multi-year approach. I think before I get into the good, better, best, I would say the the deployment of cybersecurity behavior to get from the current state to the future state, the implementation of how you do that from technology and people is as equal and if so more important for organizational culture change and behavior to be adaptive, right? Right. We refer to it as good, better, best. Or NIST, I think, refers to it as like risk-informed, uh, repeatable, and adaptive. But you know, a, a good strategy would be get asset in, inventory analysis done. So, like, figure out step one: what do you have where? The second would be develop an anti-malware strategy. So take a look at servers, physical or virtual. Just determine for yourself, are you deploying any sort of antivirus management, patching infrastructure services, and a very simplified backup and recovery plan for your software applications? You'd be surprised how many people I talk to that um, are challenged with even figuring out, Okay, A, how do I do it? B, what's important? Uh, the next step is your overall OT readiness, right? Do some network assessments, get some segmentation design activity done between what does the layer 3.5 demilitarized zone need to look like in terms of logical and physical separation between networks and do some basic risk assessments um, to, to take a look at vulnerabilities across the NIST framework. If you kind of take those five steps, they're very low from a capital expenditure standpoint. You can execute most of these activities in a matter of of weeks, if not a couple of months across an enterprise or even a single plant. Um, So that's that's a good strategy, okay? A better strategy would be if you're looking for more kind of foundational approach, you got a little bit more time, resources, capital. You want to start to take a look. My recommendation would be at a comprehensive install-based review, right? So not just asset or device inventory, but you want to start taking a look at automation hardware platforms, comprehensive software platforms like modular software, MES. And then the third component is the network connectivity, right? The backbone infrastructure that everything is operating off of. So to do a comprehensive install-based evaluation and know exactly what you have and where the lifecycle of that system or that particular asset is, um, is important. The second step would be to complete comprehensive design and implementation activities across the network. So um, not just designing the network, but actually implementing changes, not just designing a demilitarized zone, but implementing a demilitarized zone. Um, And, you know, for certain industries, Chris, that we operate in, we have a lot of OEMs that want to integrate into a plant operation, right? Remote access. So implementing secure remote access is a strategy, absolutely critical.
1: Great point. Secure remote access is a huge part because that's where a lot of people get hung up and I don't want to, and sometimes I hear make excuses around it. Like they're like, oh, you know, we're, especially from an OEM standpoint, they're like, well, we don't know how to have the conversation around secure remote access with our customers. That's a big hangup for particularly equipment manufacturers, but also the end users that are afraid to let and OEM get into their system.
0: You're absolutely right. And if you look at um, the current world condition, you know, even with COVID-19, and we're trying to keep manufacturing operations up and running, there's so much domain expertise and domain knowledge that our system integrators and our OEMs have but it's very risky from a health standpoint right now for us to be able to get into facilities. So you can imagine an environment where SRA has been deployed secure remote access and people understand very clearly what are those policies and procedures? Who's making the changes? Who should we allow in remotely to to access and configure differently? It's actually a service that we provide in terms of real-time monitoring and making those administrative changes on who has access from the outside world on behalf of our customers. So like that's part of the next step of SRAs to just get that done. And then I would say even go as far as the next step would be deploy endpoint uh, security measures. So, you know, whether that's um, endpoint security protection for software or devices within the, the device level network, Utilizing that mentality of continuing down the defense in depth strategy, right, Uh, of the outside world segmentation. Now you get into SRA, then you get into endpoints and devices. And then we really, really, the next step is to coach a customer into deploying scalable threat detection services. So this is all about continuous risk management. It's all about um, analyzing any vulnerabilities or anomalies that take place if a threat were to happen. Um, Utilizing a software platform at scale where we can monitor device assets. We can take a look at the vulnerability state uh, of a customer in real time. So deploying threat detection. And then the last step we, we recommend in a better model. Is, is our customers to think about their supportability capabilities, meaning, do I have enough OT engineers that understand this world? Do I have an IT organization and team that really understands how to maintain that world, right? So monitoring your data centers, your firewalls, networks, applications, if you need somebody to do it, we can do that 24 by 7, 365, um, and really adjust and create a disaster recovery plan. So I think that that's a better model, but you know, you got to realize it's more holistic um, elements are achievable like super quick, other things will take a long time.
1: Love it. And then what is, I'm going to give a recap on all of this as we get to the end, but we got to talk about the best model before <laughs> we get there.
0: The best model. So I'll, I'll shorten my explanation um, a little bit. So outlining a comprehensive strategy, you know, that's like a multi-year approach. This is where you're looking at a behavior of whether you're a single manufacturing customer and you're one site or you're 55 or 70 sites, right? It's a multi year approach. This is all about cultural change, behavioral change. You're creating all of the blueprints. You've got a risk mitigation strategy. You've got a large team of people that are dedicated to this. It's large financial capital planning, it's change management procedural, it's execution, it's workforce skills, meaning address the gaps or create real time behavior around managed services developing things like into integrated response teams, incident response teams, you're having outside security operations centers take a look at your telemetry, right? So meaning how am I looking at a SOC that helps me determine the state of my security operations on a, a minute by minute, hour by hour basis and you're integrating those behaviors, right, into everything that we discussed previously. The other element of that is you're modernizing everything at the same time. So Drive systems, PLC platforms, software systems, getting things standardized. And from a current state, taking a look at legacy migrations over the over the course of multiple years, one to five years, we typically look at getting all the critical infrastructures for the network moved into virtual environments, standard switch technology, um, DMZ segmentation, and then like micro segmentation. So even networks within networks, how are they designed and implemented? that becomes a, the best model, right? And it's adaptive, so you you can run pilots, you can look at how do I design it for one plant, but then implement it across 70, what's the best approach? And again, right, it's, it's not easy to do. You got to have people and resources and experience, but these are areas that we've done it before many times with customers.
1: What I love about this, and this is a message for the manufacturing leaders that are listening to this, is this is a good, better, best approach because I'm just re- looking at everything that you mentioned. It's not like this is an okay, mediocre and pretty good approach. Like everything you mentioned is a good strategy. So I don't want this to be a hang up to any manufacturing leader thinking it's like you need to go full throttle from the get go. Like in the good you mentioned, asset inventory, anti-malware strategies, and overall OT readiness where you're looking at segmentation and, you know, risk assessments and things like that. Those are all in my opinion really good activities for someone to do. And a great starting point, would you say that's a a good way to look at this if I'm a manufacturing leader that's listening and thinking, gosh, there's a lot out here, but there is a way to get started?
0: Absolutely, you know. I tell you, cybersecurity is evolving. You know, in this industry, it's evolving for us as a manufacturer. It's evolving for our customers. Like we don't expect people to go spend significant amounts of time, money, and resources to always go deploy a criti- you know, a very comprehensive plan. Um, some of our industries, some of your industries, as our customers, right, are governed by regulatory compliance, and so there, there's not a lot of negotiation in, in food and beverage and life science sometimes. But in heavy industry where you're looking at mining and oil and gas and forestry, where there's a lot of people and manual type of operations or physical security risk, there are things you can do that are very, very cost effective and minimal from a capital investment. You could do you could deploy a cybersecurity solution as quickly as a week, all the way to you can spend three years developing that hygiene profile, right? But I want I don't want our customers to to be afraid that they think and we can even do things in this in this current situation of like COVID nineteen, deploying that more. Mm-hmm. Right, Having things shipped to customers' facilities, starting them up with our remote monitoring centers around the world, configuring threat detection platforms, we don't even need resources really to, to do a lot of that at our, from a customer level. So, yeah, there's there's just a ton you can do.
1: Well, the other thing I see here is a, as I look at this laundry list of things people can be doing to take action around cybersecurity is a lot of this doesn't just relate to cybersecurity. There are other benefits for manufacturers, like doing a comprehensive install-based review. You're mitigating your risk of spare parts and having the right things on hand when it comes to looking at like in the best category, looking at workforce skills, like that's going to help you beyond cybersecurity as well. So this isn't like a cybersecurity task force activity. These are good things that people should be doing as people that want to achieve excellence in manufacturing in general
0: yeah and you know i would tell you whether it's our customers it enterprise teams or the operational technology people responsible for it and the facilities you know what they're looking for chris is we we've learned that it's it's being a strategic advisor right so whether it's rockwell automation or some of our other partners you know help me strategize figure it out you guys do it every day and you do it broadly right show me what the practitioner philosophy is like right so leveraging your expertise and, and show me the consultative way to do it customers need trusted suppliers especially in this space we've got a, a very large ecosystem in our infrastructure uh, ot and cybersecurity world that deploy products and technologies and, and anything um and we understand you know i think the, the biggest benefit is we understand the terminology and the practices in our customers it and ot teams and we try to sit in the middle if you will a lot of a lot of what i've done personally over the last three years is is coach lead and consult bringing those teams together reaching a common viewpoint it's funny I've, i've had customers that i work with that are they're good friends now um you know that have worked with their it counterparts in leadership positions but hadn't talked to that individual for three years or doesn't they don't say a word to that individual from across the table it's this bridging the gap of knowledge and skills between both worlds and then applying something
1: to it right well, you're bringing up a good point. Bridging the gap between IT and OT, and I think that's one of the big challenges we see is where getting each group talking to the other is one of the first hurdles to overcome. As we wrap up, can you help us understand some of the other key challenges in cybersecurity expertise that manufacturing leaders are facing today?
0: Sure, I I would say that I, I would say that the same gaps that apply to our overall state of manufacturing globally, such as workforce skills gap could be one of them, right? I think the other could be helping domain expertise in the application of selecting the best technology or processes or people is another one. And then making sure that across a framework or an approach that these are validated against what industries are doing, what people are doing, standards are doing. These are these are the same key challenges you see for modernization of software or infrastructure. I think working with a company like us or some of our partners, really what that brings in is we can take a look at that comprehensive kind of viewpoint. The, the biggest thing I see on the rise, and this is like every single industry, is just lack of long, like current state and future state subject matter domain expertise to support these operations in cybersecurity, right? So a lot of our customers, our chief executives, um, our CISOs that we work with, or even plant managers, directors, they're like, hey, I can't hire enough talent to support my OT and cybersecurity needs 24 by seven around the clock. How can you help me? Tell me what to go do, right? Mm -hmm. I'm an oil and gas customer or mining customer. I've got all these remote sites and facilities I can't hire, you know, a student out of university that's willing to, you know, to uproot the family and move and and get, you know, seven hours away in a remote location and do this for the next eight years. It's just not sustainable for me, right? So what do I do? And that's why we've really been building out and scaling our managed services capabilities, not just in our core IT disciplines, applications, or Rockwell Automation, you know, hardware or manufacturing install base. It's now even extending into cybersecurity because customers are making much more investment to offset those gaps in the workforce skills
1: i've got two more questions from you and i'll give you a hint one of them is giving the manufacturing leaders that are listening to this a uh, a call to action some first steps they can take after this podcast wraps up but i do have a personal question for you first camille you mentioned you've been doing this for over three years now why is this an exciting time for you to be involved in the cybersecurity and space? What's fulfilling about what you're doing right now and, and keeping you on your toes?
0: <laughs> I'm, thanks for asking me that. Um, I I'll, I'll, I'll pause for a second when you asked me. So, you know, a lot of my, my history in my career and my role has always been a customer facing selling role, but always as a technology strategist or a, a consultant to our customers at an executive level, developing comprehensive roadmaps around the traditional automation and software space, right? So like things like MES and plant systems and process systems. And then a few years ago, I built up my my ITOT discipline and did a lot of consulting around modernization of networks and IDMZ segmentations and became kind of a subject matter expert with a ton of passion around bringing those two worlds together, right? And you'd be surprised how challenging it was and, and just the, the I found a lot of personal joy in in starting something that our customers were even still, from a maturity aspect, figuring out really what the right things to do were, and bringing the subject matter expertise, and doing a lot of proof of concepts. Like we were figuring it out together. It's not like we had all the answers. And then I got into the world of cybersecurity about eighteen months ago, meeting individuals like Megan and Steve and others. But most importantly, you know, the the number of ransomware attacks and malware driven issues was a systemic thing to make this important for everybody not just our customers not just me not the extended services team at Rockwell and our leadership and it was it was like solving a puzzle from the get go right so like over 50% of our customers have either been attacked or penetrated or don't even know that somebody's trying to breach their environment right yeah and you're talking about Twelve to fifteen billion dollars of losses in the last couple of years quantified to malware, and everybody's like, "Uh-oh, what do we go do?" And so, my personal passion is again formulating that journey, creating the strategy, looking at a vision, looking at technologies you can deploy. How quickly can we do it? But also, I got a lot of global experience around that. Whether I'm working in Singapore in Asia Pac, or you know, in EMEA where things are, are very different in Europe from a, um, a regulatory compliance standpoint. What I've learned that makes me happy is that it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of different tools and technology sets for sure, but the behavior of the people is the same. And you know helping people through that journey has been very fulfilling. I think for, for the team, for myself, everybody.
1: I love that customer centric, team centric, and the names you threw out, Megan and Steve. These are all people that, if you haven't heard them on the mini series yet, they will be on this cybersecurity mini series. Final question for you, Camille What action would you recommend the manufacturing leaders that are listening to this take when it comes to their defense in depth and NIST framework strategies? I would recommend
0: to all of our leaders in manufacturing, to our plant managers, to our operators, to anybody in this world, get together as a team and make sure that the roles and responsibilities, number one, everybody knows what role they play when it comes to security, right? And even lines of demarcation, I love that word is demarcation between the enterprise IT teams and our operational technology teams together. There's no one size fits all. There's no single solution. Uh, But my recommendation would be if you haven't figured out your asset inventory and vulnerability state today, that's a very quick and simple thing that is like the first thing in the identify and protect stage we would recommend. Um, And take a look at Doing some risk assessments and vulnerability, right? Put some patching into place. Get get the basic level of hygiene done, and then I would recommend. Look, if you need help around that consultative journey of applying standards or applying a framework, you know, reach out to me. Add me on LinkedIn, whatever it may be, right? And we'll connect you with the people globally that can help you assess the current condition, get to a better state. Um, but I would say, yeah, for our customers, step one: do some asset inventory analysis, understand your vulnerabilities and risk. Immediately start to document your cybersecurity hygiene as to where are where are you and where are you going, and build out a program. It could be very simple or it can be comprehensive, and then fill in the gaps from there.
1: Excellent starting action items there, Camille. Keep on tuning in to the cybersecurity mini series, Camille. It was great uh, having a chance to catch up with you. I'm going to give you a virtual cheers right now and hope that once this COVID nineteen Stuff is over that we'll have a chance for a real beer at some point in the near future as well. I want to
0: go have a beer with you at Caffreys. You just brought up a great you brought up some great memories, so that would be great.
1: Absolutely. We'll we'll make it happen. Great actions, great level of detail in this episode. For those of you listening, thanks for tuning in. Stay innovative, stay thirsty. All right. How y'all doing? That was a deep one. I actually had to edit out some material at the end where I totally lost my train of thought because my brain was fried. Even though that was a ton of detail, there are still some simple lessons that can be taken away from this. Some of the biggest points I took from this episode, but not only some of the previous cybersecurity episodes we've done, are the importance of identifying your assets first and foremost, maybe even going so far as doing a risk assessment, and making sure that roles associated with security responsibilities, whether that's in the IT space or the operations technology space, are defined and clear. Since you're still listening to this part of the episode, I'm assuming that you have some vested interest in cybersecurity and that you've been able to handle all the detail. Nevertheless, if you want a refresher, all the details and all the resources we've been discussing in these episodes can be found at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash Cybersecurity. you'll get links to everything as well as ways to connect with all the guests that have been on these episodes my call to action to you is if you know someone else in your organization maybe your CISO or an it manager make sure to forward these episodes to them it's pretty cool because at this point we are almost to the finish line we have one episode to go we've covered why security is important the fundamentals now we've checked off defense in depth in the nist framework and you've heard us mention it in pretty much every episode so far. Our fourth installment of this mini series is finally, finally going to define what IEC 62443 is as we discuss security standards. Before we wrap up, I do have one important footnote to mention. This entire mini series is being brought to you by Rockwell Automation's awesome cybersecurity team. Full disclosure, Rockwell Automation is where I do spend my daytime hours as an account manager, but please note that Manufacturing Happy Hour is not an official Rockwell Automation podcast series. I'm just a big fan of what they do, and I love hanging out with my friends that are doing cool things around the company and for the industry in general. With that, we've got more interviews on the way and one more episode in our cybersecurity mini-series. So I look forward to seeing you back here on Manufacturing Happy Hour real soon. Cheers.
0: Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.